Let's get rejected. Sounds like a madness, right? Believe me, it makes sense. How do I know that? Because Adam Ollendorf told me. He's a content marketer at Shopify Plus, writes for Forbes, Mashable, Business Insider, and many more. In this episode of Brand Talks, Adam told me what was his path towards becoming a contributor of the finest website in the world, and why no gives you a better chance. Just make room for creativity and determination. Dear content managers, this episode is dedicated to you. Welcome to another episode of Brand Talks. Hey, Aaron, how are you? I'm doing fantastic today, Magda. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very happy that we reconnect in our podcast. And I will start with the first question, which is what is the best thing you've done last week for your business? This is a good place to start, especially just getting current. So I'm getting ready in early September to head off to beautiful Cleveland, Ohio for Content Marketing World. Uh, which is put on by Content Marketing Institute, probably the biggest content marketing conference on earth. I think they're expecting something like 4,000 attendees this year. Just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So I'm going to be emceeing, hosting one of the keynote tracks and never one to let an opportunity go to waste. Uh, what I've done over this last week or so is uh, I've published a post on their official CM World blog that was all about networking at a conference and how to add unforgettable value and basically took a whole bunch of these great examples from people that have done cool things in the past, not speakers, but actual attendees. So I'm doing a a lot of pre-gaming right now, and I like that that whole pre-gaming thing, and I've got an article that's going to go live on Content Marketing Institute, day one of CM World as well. Uh, The reason I say this is the best thing for my business is because all of these things are very like orchestrated and engineered to, number one, reach out to as many people as I possibly can who are going to be attending or speaking at the conference. So I never want to go into a conference and let an opportunity go to waste. But number two, it's also a way to kind of position myself, introduce myself, have a little bit of rapport with the audience before everything actually kicks off on the ground. So I've, I don't want to just show up cold. I'm trying to set up all these ways to um, have like warm introductions and then make the absolute most of that conference when I get on the ground. Okay, that all sounds very good. I I think that there's no one who didn't hear about this conference. So yeah, that's that's really awesome. And um, thank you for this answer. And let's go to the second question because I can find your articles on the biggest website and they're always high quality content. And my question is, where do you find best ideas for your articles? Do you use any tools or apps for this? I do. So when it comes to paid work, work I do for clients, that's almost always given to me. So like the work I do with Shopify Plus right now is all SEO related. So they'll say, hey, we need to dominate a term like B2B e-commerce. And then we need one on advantages of B2B e-commerce. And then we need one on what's the difference between B2B and B2C e-commerce. So anything that's paid for like a particular client's website is almost always just coming from them. And then it's on me to try to reverse engineer how can I absolutely crush this. But when it comes to offsite, the stuff I do for free, the stuff I do just to build my brand, really it comes from two sources. 
The first is I love Google Trends and BuzzSumo. So Google Trends, and I almost never go to Google Trends for marketing ideas. What I go to Google Trends for are celebrity topics. So I can write things like the Kim Kardashian guide to content marketing if she just happens to be trending that week. And it sounds a little silly, but it's a great way for me to stay current with what's actually trending in search right now, as well as to get fresh with the way I talk about or invest in or frame what can often be overworked topics like online marketing, content marketing, copywriting, Facebook ads, Uh, And then the last place my inspiration comes from is what I'm passionate about right now. Um, So if a a lot of it is like the books I'm reading, the people I'm reading online, and if I'm digging an idea, if I'm into a concept, there's no better way for me to solidify that in my own mind than forcing myself to write about it. So that's really what I love to do is if I'm geeking out over a topic, I'll just dig in and put together a post. Yeah, that's really useful to to know how to find good ideas and um, I'm curious if you would like to share how the path from writing for your own blog to being contributor or on Mashable for example looks and uh, where did you start and how did you reach those platforms? I love this question. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about because so many people have I think intimidation when it comes to major publishers, and so you'll hear a lot of advice online, start with smaller publishers, uh, get some track record going, a few wins, share that when you pitch big publications, and I really didn't do any of that. About three years ago, when I finally decided to to go after some of these places like Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Business Insider, what I did is I just put together a complete article tailored just for that publisher. So I did my little Google Trends trick, and the very first article I ever got up on entrepreneur.com was the Mindy Calling Guide to Entrepreneurial Domination. Uh, And Mindy Calling wrote for The Office. She starred in The Office. She's been in a bunch of movies. She does The Mindy Project now on Fox. And I wasn't particularly a big fan, but that, that search term, Mindy Calling, was trending. And so I I knew that's a popular idea. Let's go over to entrepreneur. I look for things like what's the right word count? How do they use images? How can I cross-link to existing articles on entrepreneur already? So I built a complete article tailored just for that publisher. And then I just went to their about page, tracked down as many of their editors, anybody with online or web in their title, and reverse engineered their email addresses through these great things called email permutator spreadsheets. And you can Google that if you'd like, email permutator spreadsheets. And you basically just enter the person's first name, their last name, and the at entrepreneur.com. And it generates like 30 different possible email addresses. And I just cold emailed all of those one at a time with this complete article, kept the email itself really short, and nothing has opened doors for me like that approach. Complete article, reverse engineer their email addresses one at a time, and you just hand them something that's not like a pitch. It's not so much an idea or an outline or what it could be, it's what it is. And that that has opened more doors than anything. 
Okay, that that was smart. <laughs> that was a really, really smart move. Um, but sometimes I think that uh, even if we that smart as, as you are, sometimes our articles that, that are not approved. And you created the Let's Get Rejected idea, which is for me, it's really interesting, especially for the for people who need to face the thanks but no thanks message from editors. And can you tell me something more about about this hashtag? Because it's actually hashtag and, and both idea that you created, right? Yes, my, my, I don't know what you call it. It's the anti-positive message is what it sounds like at first. Like it sounds so negative, like a hashtag, let's get rejected. But it's because when I was starting out and still gosh, still today, I get rejections, I get no's, I get the thanks but no thanks messages all the time. And I knew that my fear and the pain that that creates to have somebody tell you no, especially when you've slaved over something, I knew that that fear was going to be the thing that kept me from moving forward, from pushing. So I decided really early on that I just want to be the kind of person that tries, that does stuff. And so every time my finger, you know, would hover over the mouse and hover over that submit button or the send button, I would make rejection the goal. Like that's what I would tell myself in my head is, okay, Aaron, let's get rejected. And when I made rejection the goal, it sort of became a game. Like it took a lot of the pride and the ego out of it and it still hurts. It's still crummy, but it like armed me to just go out there and do stuff instead of doing nothing. I love it. I totally love this, this idea and I, mm. I follow uh, how do you react and I think you motivate a lot of people who thinks, oh my God, my article was so cool and I've got that message that that it's that made me sad, but you say that, come on, it's not a big issue, right? We can try and try again, just like you said. So yes. it's, yeah, it's really awesome. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I, I sure hope that's that's what happens. Yeah, and um, talking still, but talking about how to not be rejected. Uh, I, I wonder how important is outreach when we um, when we are content marketers, and how did you get publishers on so many different platforms? Did they find you, or was in the other way around? The other way around. The vast majority of the mainstream big publishers that I've written for have all been the result of that little process I outlined before, of giving them a complete article and then cold emailing multiple people, multiple editors at the publication at the same time. Outreach is, is really important. What I try to do with outreach is make it easy for the editor to say yes. So part of that is giving them the complete article. So they don't have to go through a back and forth process of you know, honing your idea, getting you to flesh it out, seeing if you're a good enough writer. It's all right there for them. Part of that too is just keeping the email really short. So when I finally got into Huffington Post a, a couple years ago, I had written multiple editors, long emails, four or five paragraphs, links to other things that I've written at other sites, trying to prove myself, and never did any of those emails result in me getting a contributor spot at Huffington Post. Finally, a friend of mine gave me Ariana's email, and I have no idea if it's actually Ariana Huffington's email. I would be shocked to find out if it is. But he, he gave me her email, and it was a two-line email. Hi, Ariana, I've written a piece, and then I had the headline, 
written out right there. I've written a piece, insert headline, the full article is attached, is it a good fit for Huffington Post? That was it. And that, that was the one that broke through. And I know it's the same for me because I get a lot of pitches from people for stories to cover, ideas, startups, products, and the vast majority of them are absolutely terrible. And it's because what the person's doing is basically giving me a homework assignment. They're asking me to research. They're asking me to generate ideas. They're asking me to proofread. They're, you know, they're, they're giving me more work to do instead of less. So I really try hard when I reach out to those editors during outreach to make it easy for them. Yeah, I also ask about it because we've been talking about how did you start and actually now you have a position, right? You, I think you well known in, in the branch from my perspective. So I, yeah, I was curious if you still need to reach those people, but as you mentioned, we still need to find for editor's attention and at the, I think that on every level of our work, we still need to, let's fight for let's say fight for the attention uh, mm-hmm. and you any yeah and you, you proved it and uh, but talking about the content itself um, I'm thinking how prolific should be uh, content content market uh, marketer when writing for any single platform I mean uh, do you think that okay now I'm writing for for a or I'm writing for B and and this should be something different because their audience is different or you have your profile and you try to align all content that you create Uh, to your profile so I stumbled into this and I'll answer that in two ways first I tried to get up on as many different sites as I possibly could as fast and early as possible in my career and rather than an ongoing column at a place like entrepreneur or Inc and I had an ongoing column at Inc for a while but rather than have like multiple pieces or multiple articles at a single site. I tried to spread it out. And really all that came down to was I want to look like I'm everywhere. So when someone goes to my sites or if they follow me back from a specific article, I wanted that logo bar on my homepage to look like, oh my gosh, like I can trust this guy. He's written for everybody. Uh, And it's a bit of an illusion. I mean, it really is. It's like, Some of the sites that are on my homepage, I've either written for once or twice or like they just picked up an article like Fortune. Fortune picked up a couple of articles that I'd written for Entrepreneur, but I have a byline at Fortune, so I'm putting it on my site. It's like I I just I wanted to create that impression, that social proof that you can trust me. And that did go a long way with getting new clients and building that freelance business. So that's why I didn't just stick to one platform. I tried to post on as many as possible. Um, as far as like writing about topics, I mean, I, I'll write about pretty much anything, but I really try hard to circle back on two ideas. Like my brand identity who Aaron Orndorff is online is built around the let's get rejected idea. So I write a lot about failures and learning from failures and how to cope with fear. I love that topic, and so I want to be associated with that topic. And then the other one is I've got this little mantra of great content is about salvation, not sales. So it's about thinking how do I – what hell 
is this piece of content I'm writing, is this email, is this podcast, is this landing page going to save my audience from? What hell, what pain, what fear are they dealing with? And that's how I frame it to clients when I'm writing for them to get them thinking in emotional story terms instead of just, you know, features, what it does, that kind of stuff. And what heaven is it going to deliver them Unto. And I like to frame it in that sort of theological, philosophical way because it helps me think in emotional terms and it helps my clients think in those terms. So I come back to those two things over and over again. Let's get rejected and salvation, not sales. I totally agree. Recently, I talked with Brian Valance. I, th I think you, you know Brian too. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've been talking about the same thing that you just said, which is very important to emphasize the value and trying to, uh, to, to get these people to the content and not brag about the tool, not brag the product, because people... Mm -hmm hate it not even don't like they just hate it and and we need to focus on uh on value as uh, exactly how, how you said and um I, i i'm thinking if you um if you get any feedback from the people and do you think that your articles influence people perspective on the topics that you write about uh i mean do you do you get any feedback from them or just they just read and share maybe and, and that's all or maybe you've got some nice or not or nice replies i've gotten some great responses and some terrible responses too which is part of just the let's get rejected idea. Like the first time I got a really nasty comment was on Conversion XL's website, the very first article I wrote for them. And amidst all of these glowing, wonderful comments, there was just this one super negative, like tearing apart one particular piece of data that I'd had in there. And so, so people feel free to disagree with me. I think the, uh, the most disagreement I've caused was I wrote a piece for Mashable on why following your passion is terrible advice. And I included about seven different points on, you know, don't follow your passion, find a purpose because passion can be deceptively self-centered. Passion can be about me, myself, and I. I love this, I want to do this, I want to change blank about the world because it'll make me feel better. Whereas purpose, and I stole this idea from Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. Purpose is about other people, who you're serving, what, what that change or difference you're going to make in the world for this specific group of people is. But as a headline, you know, this whole idea of like, don't follow your passion, because everybody talks about how, oh, you've got to find your passion, do what you love and the money will follow. And there's a sense in which I agree with that, but I think it can be really destructive. Anyway, that one finally went up on Mashable, and Mashable doesn't have comments on their site, so I was saved from that. But when they shared it on their Facebook page, it was about 50-50 of like people super agreeing or saying things like tagging their friends and being like, oh, this is like a totally new way to look at this. This is super helpful. And then other people being like, nonsense, this is stupid. How can you say this? Like, and so it's, it's weird getting that like mixed response. But Rarely. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, mean, I just meant that you caused some emotions, which is, I think is good. Well, and it's no accident that that ended up being by far the most popular thing I've written online so far. 
I mean, that is just, it's been the biggest thing, the most shared thing that I've ever put together. And it's because of that little bit of controversy that's involved in it. Yeah, I think that getting negative comment, it's not bad at all. Still, you have some feedback. Uh, first of all, so you know what, what people think. And the other side, you see that people care. So, Yeah, because at least it means they're reading it. That's, that's cool. You know, they're engaged. They care enough to write about it. I mean, the thing that's like a letdown is when someone doesn't actually read the piece and they're just responding to the headline, which you can tell from time to time. But, you know, rather than changing someone's mind, I think the comments that I like the most, like for example, uh, last year when I went to CM World, to Content Marketing World, I hatched this big sort of takeover plan with my friend Nadia from Vengage, and she and I had both been rejected as speakers, but we decided to go to the conference anyway. And to sort of make our mark, we, we wrote an article beforehand with an infographic. We reached out to 26 of the keynoters that were at the conference and got them to contribute to it. We took over Founder Magazine Snapchat during the conference and recorded 50 or 70 different responses to a single question, including we got Joe Paluzzi, you know, the, the leader there at Content Marketing Institute, to actually respond and do his first Snapchat. It was really cool. And we put this whole thing together into a post that went up on Content Marketing Institute after the conference itself. And then I wrote up this big, big post for my own site on how we hatched this whole plan. Because it was really in-depth. Um, and we had a lot of fun doing it, but it was a lot of hard work. And so it was this giant post on how to take over a conference even when you're not a speaker. And that one got just the best responses. Like I've had people email me directly to want to set up a time to talk for a bit of consulting on they're going to a conference or they're hosting a booth, booth at a conference or they're going to their first conference and they've got these ideas, they've got these ideas, but they never knew or they never had a, a concept for how much you could do at a conference even if you're not a speaker. So that one was more of like an eye-opener for people, and I still get responses to that. I wrote it about a year ago, and I still have people who will reach out to me for consultations on this really strange topic of how to make a huge splash and an impact at a conference. Wow, that's a really good case study on how to turn fail into success. Uh... Exactly, right? And it's on point. It's on brand. Absolutely. Let's get rejected. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> But um, I, I also wanted to ask you about how does tragedy differ between content marketers who are just starting out and those who are more experienced? And I'm not I exactly thinking about mistakes, but more like approach to getting, you know, your foot into the doors versus method used by people like you. Actually, you said that you still need to fight for uh, for being a writer for some some websites but um what are from your perspective like okay let's say mistakes or, or things that people shouldn't do but they they do mm. uh yeah. to to get to some websites and you know so collaboration relationships have been the magic key to everything i've been able to do and so i love writing mega roundup posts And I try to do it in a really creative way so it's not just like another listicle. But uh, like when I wrote, a, I wrote a piece for Unbounce earlier this year and basically opened with this confession that I suck at conversion rate optimization. Like I have tried my hand at it a few times 
and I'm terrible at it. And yet, I've written these really popular, like, page one of Google, in some cases for some keywords, number one on Google about conversion rate optimization. So I wrote this really, like, confessional introduction about how it's time for me to tell the truth. I can fake it. And if I can fake it, there's a really good chance the person you're about to hire can fake it too. So with that in mind, what makes the difference between a real conversion rate optimizer and the pretenders? So that's the premise for the article. And then I went to legit conversion rate optimization names like uh, Pep from Conversion XL contributed. I had about eight other real conversion rate scientists in there. And what I do in a piece like that is, one, it's a really good hook because I'm sort of putting myself on blast. I'm, I'm telling my truth. I'm confessing. And number two, when I then reach out to those people to contribute, to collaborate, I've got a neat idea. And then I only ask them one or two pointed questions. So I'll get, I'll get emails all the time from somebody that wants me to contribute to an article and they're just starting out. And it's vague, and there's no due date, and there's no word count, and sometimes there's not even a specific question. It's just a topic. That's all it is. And I have no idea what to write back, and so I don't write back. But when someone makes it easy, and if you're trying to build relationships and get collaboration and use other people's authority and name to build your own, which is the best thing you can do early on, you've got to make it easy for those people to contribute. So you ask one simple question pointed question, you give them a due date, you tell them where it's going to go live, when it's going to go live, and about how many words you need. And that can sound heavy-handed, but to me, when I get that email, you've just made it so easy for me to just fire off a response. I know exactly what you want. I could knock it out in five to ten minutes. Thank you. And you, you've got me on board. Okay. I think that is, it was very informative. Uh, and good to hear someone who's really experienced in, in this area. And my last question would be about the book or the website or author that you recommend to follow. I, I just get one. I have to narrow this down. Uh, well, actually, if you have both book and author to follow, you can recommend both. Okay. Uh, for books... If you read anything by Ryan Holiday, you'll be a better human for it. Ryan Holiday is fantastic. He's probably most famous in the marketing world for Trust Me, I'm Lying, which he wrote about five or six years ago and sort of pulled the curtain back on exactly how internet marketing and internet publicity works. And that book will blow your mind. That's a fantastic book. But he's got some more recent ones, and my absolute favorite is Ego is the Enemy. It's a short, easy read. I think it's less than 200 pages. It's even a smallish type book. Ego is the Enemy. It'll push back on the way that, thanks to social media, we talk about things instead of doing things. We want to um, be known rather than just Uh, investing in the work and it also pushed back on what's for me you know a, a thing that can get me in trouble which is just self-promotion like I I do this naturally like I don't need any help <laughs> promoting myself 
what I need is to chill out sometimes and not go after it so hard. And Ego's Enemy was great for that. As far as online goes, follow, read, devour anything that Joanna Weeb from Copy Hackers puts out. She is just um, absolutely amazing copywriter, amazing content strategist, amazing content writer. She'll give you formulas. Uh, she'll give you case studies and she's just incredibly entertaining at the same time as well if you get a chance to see her speak. She is my, like, who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> cool. Really cool because I, I didn't know her. So uh, it's really good to get to know someone new and, uh, and learn from, from this person. So yeah. thank you very much. Uh, I think it was awesome what you said because it was very informative, as I mentioned before, and we've got um, tons of tips on how to uh, get to those big websites and how to create better content. And what I can do is to uh, recommend your blog and your articles to our, our, our listeners. And thank you very much again for this interview and hope to talk with you soon. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.